Welcome to the Let's Get Visual podcast series, where we help you to create, implement, and communicate your mission, vision, and passion through pictures. Hello, I'm David Stannard. I am the Vision Guy. Welcome to this episode number six of our Let's Get Visual podcast series. The title of today's episode is called The Best Way to Predict the Future is to Create It. And I very specifically chose that title because we're at that point in the year, like we're at the end of a calendar year in in, in one big part of the world, and we're very close to the end of of a lunar year in another part of the world. And it's that time of year when we like to share our predictions, our wishes, and we even have a special name for them normally at this time of the year called New Year's Resolutions. And we share these with anybody who, who wants to listen, and more often than not, it's done in a party environment. And inevitably, there is a part of us, be it in an individual life or, or in an organizational business environment, that really seriously does want to see some change, does want to do something different. But it all gets sort of mixed up in this uh, start of the uh, new year type of process and environment. And we really don't give it as much emphasis and quality time as it deserves. The, the title of this podcast is is actually a quote. It's a quote by uh, Abraham Lincoln from um, an age gone by. But and it all sounds really simple. Huh? Best way to predict the future is to create it. The phrase is still as correct now as it was then or it has ever been. So you say, well, that's simple, David. And I say, yeah, I agree. Let's get started. What's what's your vision? What's coming up in your future? And normally if I pose that question to somebody, it goes a bit quiet. And I understand this is a podcast, so you haven't quite got the right to reply (laughs) directly to me. But normally there is a silence after that question. And quite often people assume that what we're talking about here as the vision guy is just applied to more business stuff, you know, and we have an incredible focus on that in in our lives. But the reality of the, the material and the content here is applicable to you and me as an individual or as a family or as an organization or as a professional group and or as well to business. So let's get clear up from the start. What we're going to talk about here, and it's really important at this time of year as we do think about setting a plan for the year ahead, is that it is applicable to you as an individual, as it might be to an organization. My observation over time is that every one of us, and even any business or organization, has a lot of ideas and wishes, dreams, if you want to call them that, about what he, she, or it would like the future to be like and, and to, to come into reality. And the real question then about this is, why doesn't that happen? Why doesn't that idea get any any traction and create something of, of value in the future? And please, when I talk about Outcomes of value. Again, I'm not just. We're all very, as I say, as humans, we're very obsessed, and the, you know, the the measurable that we look at quite often is is about like things like possessions, cars, money, uh, whatever. 
And what I am talking about here is is much broader than that, that may be your personal um, take on life. But at the same time, there are a whole series of other things that have a lot of value to individuals and to our society and community that, that also can be made to happen through this process. So, and I will come back to it very specifically in the context of um, business organisations later, but the currency or the KPI or the measure that we're working with here is not about money. It's about a whole series of things that we as individuals can value. And in this 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 talk and discussion today, I'm going to really focus on a couple of very, what I think is very important and principles. So let me just get them up front and out of the way, and then I'm going to unpack each one of those in, in a lot more detail and discussion. And the first one is that, firstly, important outcomes don't just happen by luck. They need both a strong goal and a good plan. All right, so that's the first one. Important outcomes don't just happen by luck. They need both a strong goal and a good plan. The second area we're going to to, to look at is a bit more about some of our own personal human uh, psychology. Um, And the important thing in realizing this, those who've listened to a number of these podcasts will, will have heard me say this before, but our brains work principally through the medium or the sense of pictures. Our brains work in pictures. And it is important to understand this in order to explain what we need to do, how we need to work with our own individual psychology, um, our own neuroscience, if you want, our brain science, to bring about change in a way that it can have impact and it can be lasting and we can use that to make stuff happen. So those are the two, two themes and let's get started in a bit more detail with, uh, with the discussion. So let's start with the, the goal aspect of first up, the goal and the plan. Uh, and the first key takeaway from my experience here is that if you're trying to put together a quality goal, it requires quality time, which also looks like quality planning. And the other important thing here is that the goal must come first. And and always when I talk in this space, then the goal is, is a big future, if you like, uh, ambition or, or target. And for me, that's what I call a vision. It's not something designed to happen in the near future. That's a short-term target, if you like. But if it's something longer term, let's call that a vision. And I use the word vision very specifically because, and we come back to this theme consistently in this um, podcast episode, but elsewhere, is a vision is a picture in our mind of what something looks like in the future. And I will ask you and challenge you at every point in every episode, what does it look like? And I ask that question quite often when I'm working with with people and with companies and organizations is what does it look like? Because that is a very critical thing. If, and you'll see how we get to this when we talk about the second key part of this uh, podcast, if you can't see it, 
if you can't describe it, if you can't draw it down on paper, then your vision will not be sufficiently compelling to drive the change and the planning and the strategy and the action you need in order to bring it about. And that is absolutely a critical principle. And you'll see how that works. We get deeper into into this episode. And as I talked about earlier, as you start to think about how that future looks like, I really, really caution you against just writing down a big sum of money or a stock exchange price or how many cars and whatever whatever um, things that you see in life that represent monetary reward. Certainly in business, um, money or dollars are a measure of success, but they are not the key to success. They are an outcome because you have selected a good business model that provides a level of service at a value which a community is willing to pay for it. And if you take that down to to a family level, um, you know, there are the countless examples all over the place of plenty of people who have plenty of money, but money doesn't buy happiness. Yeah. And quite a lot of the times we look at what our vision would be as a family. It's about what you do do as a family. And therefore, you know, some level of, of financial um, excellence is, is kind of useful and is kind of helpful. But excessive amounts and an excessive focus on that as a measure is normally a shortcut to, uh, to a problem. And certainly one of the key parts of this part of our discussion is around why we, we come up with so many great ideas and why we fail to translate that into some sort of measurable action or or a goal. And you really have to listen closely to yourself and, and to other people, you know, and you say, all right, I, I had a dream last night or, you know, my New Year's resolution is. And the, the, the key challenge there is it is a short-term thought with which we don't build on sufficiently that it can be impactful for what we want to use it for. And it may be a really good dream. It may be a great wish and an excellent resolution. But what are you going to do with it in order to get a lasting, meaningful result out of it? And that's the key to it that we're going to look at now as we change into talking about some bits about how our brains work. Now, right up front, as I get into the the second part of the topic here, which is about, you know, um, the fact that our brains work in in pictures, and I'm going to talk about a couple of effects that that has in terms of the way we think and in terms of the the way we we should act and and, and change to get the best results. But I do want to put it up front. Um, I'm not a brain scientist. I'm not qualified in neurology, nothing else. But I have worked with a lot of experience from the past and looked at why some of these things do not work. And having done plenty of tests and exercises with organizations and people, 
I can see the results of what happens if you go about things in a different way and you work with some of that human psychology and with the way in which our brains work. As I just sort of indicated a couple of minutes back, we as human beings, we have lots of good ideas. This is a very positive aspect to it. And even in any organization, we always talk now about, you know, well, we're going to innovate our way out of, out of uh, trouble. And the same really should apply to individual human beings, though we're less good at it as, as individuals in coming up with, with, with ideas to, to change our lot for the future. Whereas in organizations, the, there's a huge focus on, on finding you know, improvement and innovation. Quite often there isn't, and uh, you know the results become uh, self-evident. But we have a lot of good ideas, and of course then when you have one good idea in the middle of lots of others, and our brain is churning out ideas and collecting data on a massive scale every minute, second of the, of a day, then you know that one good idea that you might have had in the middle of the night is quickly swamped by a whole series of other stuff that's coming at you non-stop and therefore the idea gets lost two things i'm going to talk about or sub points in this section that i'm going to talk about is firstly a couple of things that relate to indeed how our brains do work and do work very specifically through the medium of visual sense or, or pictures the first is called the picture superiority effect and the second is called a reticular activation system. And I'm going to talk about these in a little bit more detail here. So as you can see how that applies to the situation that we find ourselves as, as busy human beings with so many ideas around us. And why then we can't make one particular idea get held into our, our minds and act as a focus for our action and activity. So firstly, picture superiority effect. What, what is it? I mean, you know, it sounds like a nice technical engineering term, and I guess it's a, it's a scientific term that has been around for, for a long time. Uh, it's been applied by neuroscientists in terms of how they, their understanding of uh, how our human minds and brains work. Um, essentially, and I quite often do this test when I'm running workshops and so on, I ask the audience to tell me out of the five primary senses, the five primary senses that we all have as, as, as human beings, which they would least like to lose. So our five senses, I usually like to think of them as, as two T's and three S's to make it easy. Our five senses are touch, taste, smell, sound, and sight. And I usually ask the audience, as I said, which would you least like to lose? And it's pretty overwhelming, usually, the results. Um, somewhere between 85 and 95% of the audience will always say that sight is the sense that they would least like to lose. There's plenty of literature out there by a number of different authors and researchers on the subject that would suggest that, uh, you know, that our brain... Uh, you know, more than 50 or 60% of our brain is, is taken up in thinking of pictures. In front of me at the moment here, I've got a, a, another learned document that would indicate that, you know, more than 90% of all human communication is, is visual or that 90% of the information 
sent to the brain is visual. And kind of, look, some of that makes makes sense based on, you know, our, our everyday experience. And uh, the brain does indeed like to think in terms of pictures. And if we reflect on a lot of our ideas, you know, a dream. A dream is a series of pictures that, that we have in our mind, and then we interpret it and tell everybody about it in words. But ideas and everything else, we see them as pictures, and quite often we see them as future states. And that's key to understand. But the priority for our brains is, and I always have this model of uh, of everybody boarding uh, an airplane, and it's priority boarding for anything that is, is visual. Our brains will lap it up much more quickly and easily if it's received in visual. And one of the things I always share with, for you know for people in in business and so on is that if you you know you're doing presentations, um, make it as visual as possible because all of the the data indicates that you know you can memorize something five times greater if it's presented as a picture. And if somebody tells you the, war, the words and, and, and part of the story, you've got to see the picture. The second sub-point that I wanted to talk about is this thing called reticular activation system. Again, sounds even more complex than a picture superiority effect. Reticular activation system um, it is basically a way by which our brain, and there is a you know, it is a it is there's a part of the brain given over to this somewhere to the, the back lower part of our brain that we use as human beings to decide if a piece of data, this incoming piece of data, is important or not, and whether it's attached, it gets any value, and whether it requires action or or whatever. And how does it do that? Well, what is put forward to us by the science is that. You know, and, and data is coming in all the time at us. Our, our, our world is is rich. It's always has been rich. Um, but, you know, you've got all of that uh, that sight, that sound, that feeling. The data's coming in. It's on your screen. It's on your phone. It's in front of your eyes. It's cars, traffic, whatever. It's all around us. And somewhere in the brain, the brain has to make a decision as to what is important to act on or what is just background fluff and stuff and, and, and noise. And the way it does that is through the reticular activation system. So it compares each piece of incoming data against, if you like, let's just call it a check sheet of important stuff. So the brain has that ability that it puts stuff to one side and says, watch out for this lot because it spells danger, or it spells opportunity, or it means it's time for lunch, or whatever. And it can work out then where to to change that human action or your response to that data coming in. And what is critical to that is that if you have an idea and a dream, and it has no point of reference in the reticular activation system. It goes, yeah, that's nice. Thank you. But it doesn't necessarily store it or attach any value to it as being important. And it just, your brain just moves on. It just carries on with whatever next is coming up. And you see that. We know that every day of the, of the week, yeah? Oh, we had an idea. Oh, it was last Tuesday, but uh, all the other stuff came up. 
and we reacted on the other stuff, quite often the, the urgent, less important stuff, yeah, because that is what is in our reticular activation system, and that's what the brain then responds to. So what's the summary of those two, two key points, if you like? Um, yeah, maybe we can combine that in with the first part of the, the philosophy as well, but we'll, we'll attach that in. But the first two points, the sub-points, therefore, about picture superiority effect and the reticular activating system. Firstly, it says our brain needs a clear, consistent picture to work with. And we need to show our brain that picture on a regular basis for it to sit comfortably on its take notice list, otherwise called as the reticular activation system, and to respond to it and to take action on it. So if we now bring back in the first part of the the discussion about the need for a strong, clear, well-thought-out future-motivating goal, otherwise known as a vision, and we combine that with the fact that our brain responds most strongly to pictures, and particularly to a consistent picture, what it tells us is that we need to be able to see that future pretty much on a continual basis. So you can see why I always keep reposing the question is, what does it look like? And the trick here is to get from what does it look like and to capture it as a picture. And that's why I consistently keep talking about drawing that vision as a picture vision. And why do I say that is because then you can make it into a picture and you can look at it consistently. And because it's a picture, it will resonate with your brain much more readily than a set of words on a piece of paper or a one-off talk and discussion somewhere or a quick chat over a New Year's Eve party. So here's the summary of the last 20 minutes of our discussion here today. Pretty straightforwardly, get yourself a picture vision, draw a picture of what you want your future as an individual, as an organization, as a family, as a business, what you want that to look like. Look at it then, that picture, look at it 30 seconds every day and let your brain get to work. Now, I know this is relatively simple to say and a little less easy to do, but that's exactly the point that we started out with. If you want a quality goal with a quality outcome, you've got to put some quality work into it. And getting that vision right will be one of the most powerful things you can do. I honestly implore you to think very heavily on that in the opening few days of the new year or whenever you listen to this podcast. Because if you can get that right and you can get the power and the passion and the motivation into that picture vision, it will transform your life, your business, your family in a way that you cannot believe. 
By now, I hope you can understand why we called this episode The Best Way to Predict the Future is to Create It. My name is David Stannard. I am the Vision Guy. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. And if we can help you in any way to to put together that inspiring, impactful future for you, then please let us know. Thank you again for listening. I wish everyone a safe, successful, happy and healthy New Year. Thank you and goodbye.